This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Radio Stockdale and this edition of The Flag Brief. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. I'm in conversation with Admiral John Richardson, United States Navy, retired. Admiral Richardson served as the 31st Chief of Naval Operations. Admiral, you've done almost everything a naval officer can do, especially in submarine operations. Our audience knows who you are, so I'll dispense with too much of an introduction and just jump right into it. And let me just say, welcome to Radio Stockdale. Michael, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me, and I'm very, I'm just so looking forward to our conversation. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Let's, let's jump into it. I've heard you talk many times, and I'm impressed by your discussion of leader development, especially how you describe the three lanes of leadership development. Why do you describe leader development as these three lanes? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, when you talk about lanes, of course, uh, the, the vision that comes into your mind is lanes in a road or something like that. And uh, in fact, that was deliberate. We, you know, as we put the uh, ideas together, we wanted to invoke a, a, a path, you know, of uh, leader development and a path that has three lanes. But, you know, of course, a path leads to something, right? And so before we talk about the lanes, it might be uh, useful to spend a little bit of time on, you know, where would we want this path to take us? What is the goal in terms of uh, leader development, right? What kind of leaders do we want to develop? What what attributes do they uh, embody? And, uh, you know, I think we everybody who's listening can think of those leaders in their lives, whether they were personally, uh, you know, experienced leadership from somebody, or they've read about them, they're historical uh, figures, or, uh, you know, either one, that everybody can kind of converge around uh, a set of essential qualities that uh, those leaders, you know, instill, embody, right? And so, you know, I think that uh, as we thought about, well, what are those qualities for Navy leaders? We kind of converged on, you know, the the qualities that Navy leaders inspire uh, their teams to to chase best ever performance. Those are the leaders that we want. And I think that those are the leaders that inspire uh, their teams to to really go out and and achieve something that they haven't achieved before. Right. And, And they do this, you know, relentlessly. Right. The leaders that really are world class are relentless about doing this, Michael. They they're constantly studying and experimenting and innovating. You know, they practice. Uh, they seize really every moment, right? They expend every effort uh, in this idea to develop their teams and outfox their competition. You know, and in doing that, they're also mindful that uh, they've got to do so in a sustainable way. It's not sufficient to pour all of your effort into, you know, winning Sunday's game and then you're done. You know, you've got to get back and you got to win the next Sunday and the Sunday after that and the Sunday after that. And so it is with our teams, right? We're a we're a 365-day, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week Navy. And so we need to, uh, even as we achieve and relentlessly chase best-ever performance, we've got to do so in a way that nourishes our team, makes them stronger over time. 
And uh, I think also we'd like to think of our Navy leaders, our best Navy leaders, as being humble people. Uh, they're open to meaningful feedback from their teams and others. They recognize that uh, they're not going to have all the best ideas just themselves, and they're ready to learn because the only thing that matters is improved performance, best ever performance. And if the leader learns, then, then that can only make the team stronger. And when they win, you know, that humility is there uh, again, right? They're not, they're not doing the victory dance. They're not spiking the ball. They're, they're humble. They're grateful, actually. And they're usually spent from the effort of the competition because they have dedicated so much to achieving that victory. And so, you know, in, in summary, they form a, a Navy leaders bring their teams into a community of deeply shared commitment to each other and dedicated to the pursuit of victory. And so, you know, if I could sort of encapsulate the goal of our leader development pro, path, right, what, where does this path lead? I think that it would lead to a leader that embodies those qualities. You're talking about a, a leader who is humble who understands that this is a marathon, but also understands that performance is what counts. Exactly right. And, uh, and, and not just before, it's not just, you know, getting to a goal. It's also how you get to that goal. Right. And so, uh, you know, how you do it matters. And that's where the lanes come in, I think. Right. So what are sort of the, the, the essential uh, dimensions of that leader in terms of defining how you get to that type of a leader. And uh, so we described it in terms of three lanes on that road. Uh, lane one being competence. Uh, you, you've got to know your job. In fact, you've got to become an expert at your job, right? You're not going to achieve best ever performance by having a casual knowledge of your job. You know, you're going to get there by being an expert. And, uh, and without that expertise, uh, that competence, you know, no matter how in, inspired or dedicated or sincere you are, you're just simply not going to know right from wrong, you know, if it's going well or not going well, unless you're competent at what you do. And I'd like to come back to that a little bit later in our discussion, uh, you know, the kind of the, uh, the nature of competence. I think also that uh, the second lane is character. Uh, and we've got to continuously, you know, strengthen our ability for our leadership to behave consistently with our core values and to inspire trust and confidence, not only with our team, which is super important, but also with the American people who send us their sons and daughters to join the Navy, raise their right hand, join the Marine Corps, raise their right hand to make that commitment by taking that oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. You know, and so the if we lose that bond of trust and confidence, uh, well, it all sort of falls apart pretty quickly. Uh, and I was always struck, even as the chief of naval operations, that I was particularly, you know, with senior officers sometimes, uh, too often, when they had problems, it they were problems of character. They weren't problems of competence, right? It was judgment issues and character issues that uh, that led to you know undoing. And so we've got to kind of continuously keep an eye on a character, so that I can look every U.S. citizen, every mother, every father, sister, brother in the eye, and say, you know, you sent your son or your daughter to us, 
And they're going to be led by people who are people of integrity, who are honest people, who have your child, your, your, you know, your brother's best interests in mind. They're people of character. They're going to do the right thing, even when the right thing is hard. And then the third lane, it was actually the newest lane. So it didn't come into uh, existence, didn't become part of the discussion until sort of the third version of uh, the leader development framework that we published. And it's this idea of connections. And uh, I'm so proud that this, uh, this entire lane, a central idea of, of the thesis right now, sort of came from out of the fleet, right? So I, I really was, uh, was thrilled every time I got feedback from the fleet and uh, the, the connections lane was actually uh, suggested to me by uh, a Navy uh, commander at the time, Emily Bassett, who was in commanding a littoral combat ship. And she said, hey, you know, I've read this and I get version one and I get version two. And it sounds like you're open for feedback. And so here's an idea. And uh, she talked about the importance of connections. And it was, you know, it was something that she had found very useful. And, you know, when, when I listened to it, it made a tremendous amount of sense. And this idea of, uh, you know, again, in, in the spirit of humility, I suppose, uh, we can learn faster by sharing ideas. You know, we, we, we do everything that we, we do as teams. And so you share with your team for sure and get feedback from them. Even team leaders, you know, our peers. Connect with the, your, your peers and, and, and share uh, your lessons learned, both your good ones. Hey, this went super well. You know, let me just share what we did and, and over to you to, to borrow that, steal it, take it. And also those times when it didn't go so well. Hey, I just had a terrible day. And I'm calling up my network to let you know, and uh, hey, whatever you do, don't do this, right? Uh, this does not go well. Again, you know, you, we just want everybody to learn as fast. And what will happen, of course, is that network will respond, uh, particularly if you've had a bad day. I've always found that people will say, hey, look, you'll get through this. We're, we're together with you. We're still with you. Uh, you can get, you know, both an intellectual uh, boost from those connections, learn faster, but you can also get kind of a personal boost. You become more resilient and tougher by virtue of having a network that you can rely on to support you in good times and bad. Now, all of that sounds fantastic. And I can see where that web of connectedness, competence, and character come together. But how do you develop that? How do you get there? How do you, for instance, how do you get to competence? How do you become a competent leader? Yeah, I think that, uh, so, so you're, what you're asking is, you know, how do we move down that path, right? So we've, you can start to see the mental uh, model uh, form in your head, I hope, Michael. You know, we've got this goal that we're after, the, the qualities of an effective naval leader, an inspiring naval leader. Uh, and you've got this road that leads to that goal, and that road has three lanes of competence, character, and connection. So now what you're asking me is how do I move down that road, right? And I think that uh, we would say that the Navy is very well uh, set up to propel you down that road. And I think that in general, uh, there are sort of three ways that, that you can develop uh, competence, character, and connections, right? Right. 
Uh, one is through formal schools, right? So you're there at the United States Naval Academy. It's a formal school. And at that school, I know that they are developing competence and character deliberately. And you're also deliberately developing connections between squads, you know, within companies, uh, on your sports teams, you know, other clubs, et cetera. There are just so many ways that these connections are, are forming. A second way, you know, it, it happens some at the uh, Naval Academy, uh, but it happens to a great degree out in the fleet, is on-the-job training, right? So this is sort of, you know, you, you've left the school, you're now out in the fleet, you're part of a unit, and uh, you're going to have all sorts of uh, opportunities to learn on the job. You're going to have promotion opportunities, and you're going to learn what it means, you know, what it takes to, to be promoted to your next uh, rank. You're going to have, uh, you're going to need to qualify for different jobs, different watch stations. And uh, all of those qualifications will have things that you have to do. You have to learn and you have to demonstrate. And so there's all sorts of on-the-job training that you get uh, while you're uh, in the Navy uh, operating from day to day. And then the third way is through what I would say is self-guided learning, right? And so, again, you know, you go back to those leaders who are the models for inspirational and effective leadership, those leaders who seem to win not only when it really counts, but, you know, win a, a vast majority of the time. They are relentless self-learners, right? They're constantly reading, uh, studying, doing everything they can to improve themselves. So yes, they'll go to schools. Yes, they'll do on-the-job training, but they're not going to wait for those things. They're going to dive in and just you know, be voracious, voraciously hungry about learning uh, how, how to be a better leader, how to outfox the competition, And so those are the three ways I think that you develop it. You develop it through schools, you develop it through on-the-job training, and then, of course, you develop it through uh, self-learning. Let me me ask you about that self-learning thing. Is... Is it what you're saying that uh, that I should uh, open up another calc book and try to learn more about differential equations, or is it that I should understand the geopolitic and understand and, and listen listen to news and yeah. and you know what 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 kind of training are we talking about or education? Yeah, it's a super interesting question, and uh, and the answer is, to your question is yes, all of the above, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, certainly. It depends on what you know, kind of problem you're trying to solve, right? What question you're trying to explore, and so if you know, you're stumped right now uh, on uh, a particular technical thing that would be helped by a better understanding of differential equations, well, then yeah, you're going to seek out those texts and you're going to do that your very best to understand differential equations or whatever the technical thing may be, right? Let's not get too geeky here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, if the, if you're out there and you are uh, uh, an athlete, right. And you are running the, you know, the 400 hurdles. Well, you know, there's probably a lot of reading you can do. Uh, Edwin Moses and some of the classic uh, 400 hurdlers, you, you can uh, you can understand what they went through, what they learned by virtue of reading their biography, understanding their experiences, right? And then you can go out and try it, right, on your own. Sure, there's going to be practices and all that sort of thing, but I think the folks that are really achieving world-class performance are spending a lot of time on their own. And so, yeah, so there's, there is sort of that. 
But you also asked a real, you, you made an interesting point, which is uh, there. Read you read a lot of things, and um, what I've always found is that if I'm, let's say I'm, I'm solving a particular uh, uh, mission, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to accomplish a, a particular mission. Let's say it has to do with uh, deploying a submarine to the uh, Western Pacific. Um, okay, so I'm going to read a whole lot about what it takes to do that specifically. You know, read uh, patrol reports from from previous uh, deploying CEOs. I'm going to talk to those CEOs, et cetera. But I'm also going to read, you know, I, I used to like uh, sports coach, you know, uh, books, right? And so I think uh, there's a book by Don Shula, Everyone's a Coach. And uh, boy, I gave that book out to a lot of people when I was in command because I thought it had just so much practical advice. And there are other books that uh, have a lot to teach us, maybe not in our specific uh mission, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, we can kind of use a decoder ring, if we will, to translate what those, you know, other situations and, and how people uh, achieve success in other fields, we can translate those into our field. And I think we become better leaders by virtue of becoming, you know, broader thinkers, right? There's a great book out called Range, and it talks about the, uh, the virtue of having broad experience rather than, you know, over-specializing and staying in a stovepipe. You know, that's the beauty of the Naval Academy. It is a liberal arts school. I know people hate saying that, but we're, you know, you're learning how to learn. Yeah. A lot of stuff you're learning also, specifics, but you're learning how to learn. Let's, let me ask you to go down that, that second lane in terms of character. How do you learn that? I'll tell you what, there is a plenty of there is plenty of sort of academic material, right? And and I, I'm speaking to one of the most academically accomplished people that I know of, Michael, yourself, who can, uh, you know, just tell us chapter and verse, everything that's been written about integrity and character, et cetera, right? Going back to the, to the, the ancient Greeks, we could start with Plato and Aristotle and move our way forward all the way through all of the uh, heavyweights, Aquinas, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. name it. Right. All the way forward, up, up to Stockdale, the very person who, uh, who whose name you took for the center, right? Uh, right. And, and I've read all of those. So there's plenty of uh, learning you can do there, either in a school or just pick up, uh, you know, one of Stockdale's books and that'll teach you a lot. But, uh, you know, like so many other things, I think that the, uh, the on-the-job training part of the um, – of character development is very, very important, right? So there's that classic uh, thing, you know, if you if you want to learn, you know, be a good writer, well, how do you do that? Well, you write, you know, that's how you do that. Uh, and it's the same thing. Uh, if you want to be a person of character, then, you know, go out and seek those opportunities where your character will be strengthened. And, uh and I think also for, particularly for the midshipmen, but for people currently in the fleet in leadership jobs, you know, your responsibility is not only to develop and strengthen your character, but you're responsible for deliberately developing the key, the, your team's character, right? And so how do you do that? Well, 
okay, there's the academic approach, and we've, we've talked a little bit about that, but you can be the teacher of character for your team every single day, right? So here's your morning brief. Hey, team, we're going to have, we have in front of us now a very, very challenging mission. It's going to be a tough day today, uh, and it's going to require all of us to work together as a team, and we're going to, I can almost guarantee we're going to get tired, and we're going to get frustrated, and we're going to get hungry, and, uh, and we're going to be challenged, right? We're going to be challenged to the limits of our endurance, the limits of our capability. This is what excellent teams strive for, is to be in situations like this. And let's make sure that as we all break from this meeting, from this brief, that we fully understand what we're going to do, because we're going to be all separated and distributed when we, when we head out there. And let's make sure, first of all, that we keep our integrity strong, right? So that if they fight any temptation to take some kind of a shortcut, right? Make sure that everything we do, we are doing up to the standards required. And that when we put, you know, when we say something is done, it is done, right? And it is, it is done capably and done properly. And so, you know, so at the end of the day, when we're through this uh, evolution, we can all look with each other and say, hey, we not only did that, but we did that right. We did that the right way. And so this is operational character development, right? This is not something where I'm sitting in a classroom and trying to, uh, you know, quote uh, Thomas Aquinas. This is, you know, on the deck plate character development where you are strengthening on an operational day-to-day way the uh, character uh, of your team. And it's got to be, you know, that constant positive pressure, if you will, by the leadership and, and everybody who wants to, to pile in to, to talk about how it should be done from a character standpoint. Otherwise, all you're going to do is end up talking about bad news, right, where, where mm-hmm. people fail to live up to the standards that we would hope they would live up to. Uh, they, they made a bad decision. Boy, by, co- by positively pressurizing it, you get way to the left of that decision. And when they face that challenging decision and they have to choose you know, the, the hard but right way versus the not so hard but wrong way, they will be strengthened because they've been hearing a constant you know, drumbeat of this on their day-to-day basis and their character is strong. So point noted, let's go to that last C, connections, connectedness, whatever yeah. you want to, whatever yes. you want to call it. How do, you, how do you develop that? Well, um, I think that this is, uh, well, uh, again, you know, you, you develop it and you become better at it by doing it. And so you seek out opportunities to uh, connect with your team, uh, you know, and, and that connection can be something as simple as a phone call. Uh, now we have all these other technologies that allow you to do better than a phone call, right? It could be an email, uh, and you can kind of see this sort of spectrum emerge of uh, meaningful or uh, contextual connections, right? So on the far left, sort of the sparse end of it, it might be an email or a text or something like that, right? As you move up the scale, uh, you can maybe have a phone call or a voice conversation. As you move further still, maybe now you're into a, a you know a, a video conversation, uh, either on your phone or via one of those you know app Zoom or whatever. 
and and all the way at the at the very best, you're you're in each other's company, and you know I think we would all recognize that you 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 communicate so much more, right? When you can be with somebody physically, right? There's there's everything you're saying. There's all the nonverbal communication. There's how you're set up in the room. All of those things, uh, you know, enhance that connection, right? And and. And again, you know, what you want to do when you're connecting is talk about meaningful things, right? You want to have authentic conversations where maybe you're sharing a concern that you have, or maybe you've got an uncertainty about what things, how things should go. You know, that's the substance of these connections so that you can elicit uh, help or provide help uh, to the other person. You know, if you think about everything we do, Michael, it's, it's, you know, we're just sort of one node in a network. We receive something from someone. We have our job to do with that thing. And then we usually hand it off to somebody, right? We're part of a flow. And so, you know, to understanding that and deliberately connecting with people all around us, I think uh, positions us better in that network. And as a team, uh, we become stronger. And as individuals, we become stronger as well. You know, there are some great examples, if I could, uh, just wax on a little bit more. Great naval examples, right? So, um, you know, the great naval leader, uh, Horatio Nelson, you know, the the victor in the Battle of Trafalgar or Copenhagen or the Nile, uh, you you know, before they would go into battle, he would take his fleet into battle. He would bring all the captains of the ships into his cabin on his flagship, and they would have a conversation about the battle plan, right? They would connect, and uh, Nelson would lay out his plan and the captains would ask him questions and, you know, explore how, what, what happens if this happens? What if the wind shifts? What if they do this? You explore all those hypotheticals. And then when they all got back into their small boats and went back to their ships, by virtue of that connection, they were so much better prepared to uh, execute that battle plan to deal with the expected and maybe the unexpected because they'd had that great conversation. You know, submarine COs, when they came back from war patrols in World War II, uh, those were some really dangerous war patrols, right? And, uh, you know, whether you came back alive or not, sometimes often depended on how much you knew about, you know, the combat situation uh, forward deployed, which was changing very, very rapidly. And so when when a submarine CO would come back, all the other submarine CEOs would gather around and they would be thirsty for the latest, right? And they would have this conversation, this personal connection, maybe work out the next you know, tactic that could, uh, that could be the decisive thing for the next deployer. And so uh, these connections are, are absolutely uh, key to uh, amplifying uh, competence, character, and, and building uh, strength and resilience in the team. Let me jump on a comment you made a while ago about that authenticity of the connection. And, you know, not to, not to drum too loudly the difference between digital and analog. We are analog beasts. I mean, we're part of, uh, you know, there, there are sound waves that hit our ears. They're not digital sound waves. They're, you know, they're these organic things that thump against our, 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 uh, our eardrums. I, I think I was hearing you say, not to necessarily remove the filters, but digital things can be filtered very easily. It's a lot harder when you're 
face-to-face or even phone-to-phone, however, however close you can get to the analog device, is yeah. that's people to people. That's that's probably the best way to build that authenticity. Tell me if I'm telling you saying too much here, but yeah, no, I think that the, you know I, I couldn't agree with you more. That sort of you know that fully contextual uh, connection, uh, you know, rather than a sampled connection that would be. So I'm a, I'm a signal processor by trade. So you know, I mean, what what uh, digital signals do is they you know they sample the waveform at a particular rate and they try and reconstruct it. And, uh, but it's never, you know, the full reconstruction of everything that's there. Right. But what I meant by authenticity is uh, just something related, but a little bit different, which is, you know, as a leader, when you connect with uh, your peer, your superior, and certainly, you know, someone who might be working for you on your team, you know, I would hope that, uh, you're bringing your entire self to that connection, right? That you've got legitimately their best interests and the team's best interests in mind. And, you know, I did a lot of, one of the jobs I had was that I uh, had the great privilege of teaching the submarine command course, which was all of those officers that were on their way to submarine command came through the course. And, you know, it was, it was a course about command. And uh, we would, you know, a, a big part of that course was putting the students in the position of the commanding officer, right? So they would have this, we would be at sea on a submarine, they would have a crew uh, and a team, and we would give them, you know, a pretty challenging mission and watch the students execute it. And a lot of that involved, you know, briefs to the team in the control room. Right. This is what this is what I intend to do. And this is how we're all going to work together as a team to do it. So many of those officers, many of them, they were very effective in communicating with their team because they authentically wanted to transmit their message and their understanding into the minds of their team. Right. And so that you could see they were looking for you know, the body language, are, are people getting this? What are they, what are their faces telling me, et cetera? Those were the better the, uh, students. On the other end, you know, you would have these students that they might as well have been standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and just yelling into the Grand Canyon, right? I mean, they, they were just, you know, transmitting without any sense of uh, communicating to the team. They were just sort of speaking at the team. Right. And uh, it was it was kind of phony. Right. And it was ineffective. And and the team got that right away. Hey, this guy, uh, you know, I don't know what he's about, but he's clearly not interested in really communicating with me. He's just interested in, you know, making a noise or whatever. And so when I talk about authenticity, Michael, it's that real authentic desire to transmit understanding, concern, compassion, uh from you to your team or from you to the person with whom you're connecting. And if that's authentic, I think uh, you you make progress uh, very quickly. If it's phony, right, you could actually move backwards. Admiral, these are very good points. Let me ask you in the last few moments we have together, you know, uh, after a very long uh, career in the Naval Service, what do you know now? that if you knew back in the time you were a midshipman, 
you, you would tr- that would inform what you should be doing, the things you should be doing as a mid. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we could go on uh, for several hours, Michael, sure, in terms sure. of what I would do differently. <laughs> Believe right. me, uh, I would do a lot differently. But I would say that, uh, and this is just speaking for me personally, but it, and it might have some use for your listeners. I would say that I was a late bloomer in terms of catching on to the importance of connections. Okay. And so, you know, did I do okay academically going through the Naval Academy? Yeah, I did okay academically. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, the honor code and, and integrity and all of that, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I was probably doing all right in that regard. Uh, but where I wish I would have uh, been better is uh, forming, you know, lasting and meaningful connections earlier with uh, who you know, my teammates, my classmates, my my company mates, you know, you name it, and then you know, keeping those connections vibrant as we all went out and and you know, <laughs> fell into the fleet, right, and began our naval careers. I think I, I know I would have been a much more effective naval officer if I had been better connected with all of my teammates, particularly in those early days as we're learning so fast. And I could have called out, you know, I should have, I should have called out and connected with those folks. Just how are they doing? What's going on with you? Oh, here's what's going on with me. I would have been a better naval officer if I'd done that sooner. That is fantastic advice. Admiral John Richardson, formal chief of Naval Operations. Thanks so much for joining us on Radio Stockdale. Michael, it's it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Radio Stockdale, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.